0: You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We are working through our series in Philippians. So uh, if you have your Bibles, I would like to turn to Philippians 2 and verse 12 through to 18. I'm reading from the ESV. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So this is our text today. Uh, the Bible is always, uh, always has the capacity to surprise us, doesn't it? And uh, today will be, uh, in a measure, no exception love the Bible. Are we people who love the Bible? Yeah, it's all in here. The truest things you will ever learn about yourself are written in here, not from the lips of other people, but from the very mouth of God. And everything we need to know about how to build our lives, how to learn to love God, how to learn to function as a community, how to be the people that God wants us to be, it's all here for us. It's all written in there for us. And so this uh, passage of Scripture is absolutely uh, gold. It's gold for this. So Paul is saying here, he wants us to live such lives that everybody will notice us. Okay? So he wants us to live lives in such a way that everybody in your world will know that you follow Jesus. Okay? Whether it's in your family, your neighborhood, your workplace or if you go to college or wherever it might be, it will be so obvious it will be like seeing a bright shining star against a black sky. right? So this is, Paul is saying this is uh, what he's expecting of us. But also he's saying he wants us to live such lives that he can be proud of us. This is quite an interesting uh, thing to hear Paul say. He wants to be able to say, look, I, I want to be able to say that I'm proud of you and that it was all worth it. All right? That's what he says. That my labor was not in vain. That I didn't, my race was not run in vain. I want to be able to say that it was worth it. So these are the sort of things that Paul is saying in these scriptures. So he wants us to make a massive missional impact in our families and neighborhoods and communities. We would all want that, wouldn't we? Yes, Maurice, we really desperately. Desperately want to make a massive missional impact. Yes, Maurice. I just I I, I can't wait for you to shut up so I can go home and make a massive missional impact. Right? This is what Paul wants for us. And he he's inviting us to make our spiritual fathers and leaders proud. We want to do that, don't we? So how do we do this? How do we make the apostle Paul proud? while at the same time make a massive missional impact shining like stars how do we do that well here we go i want you to imagine just to imagine in your mind's eye that the, the we all have our own christian heroes spiritual leaders that we've we've seen and we've known over the years maybe watched on the telly or been to conferences or something and uh, they've become heroes to us. So I just want you to think about who's like the, sort of the, the spiritual hero for you, some sort of leader who's really inspired you and been very impressed. Don't all say Tom, all right, okay? You don't want to embarrass Tom. So put Tom to one side for one minute, okay? Who, 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 who really impresses you that you've seen over the years that's really inspired you? Anybody? Joseph Prince? Maurice Nilesio, thank you, darling. <laughs> Billy Graham Justin Welby. Justin Welby yeah who else Dick Saunders, Dick Saunders. Dick Saunders. Reinhard bunker. yes excellent Derek, Derek Prince. Prince right okay I think all these people alright imagine they've all just turned up in a taxi alright they're coming to church this morning <laughs> they're all here oh dear <laughs> They've all turned up, all right, and you'll see all the leaders starting to get in a bit of a panic. Uh, oh, did we make room for them in the car park? Hope so. Uh, did the welcome team smile? Did, we, did they smile when they came in? Oh, no. Yeah, the worship leader's just broken a string on his guitar. This is a disaster. And then you hear the, the leader. This is uh, the traditional thing every church leader says to a visiting speaker or someone visiting that they want to impress. These, you'll always hear these words. Uh, I don't know where everybody is this morning. <laughs> there's normally there's normally so many more people here, you know, and then they, they, we can't get the words up on the PA, and you will all "Oh no! If only, if only, you know." We could have 10 people running to the front in tears of repentance and, and baptisms and, and, and maybe sort of, uh, someone, someone could, can we raise the dead this morning? That'd be good. That'd impress them. And then some healings uh, and, and then maybe uh, uh, some angelic visitation, maybe some gold dust, gold dust, that'll do it. If we get some gold dust and everybody falling over under the power of the spirit, that will really impress them. <laughs> all right. And then we can all go home relieved thinking we're doing something right here. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the Apostle Paul is coming. What's going to impress the Apostle Paul? It's buried right in the middle of these verses. It's perhaps not what you're going to expect. What is going to give Paul the assurance that that his labour was not without, without any reward, that he has run his race not in vain, that he would be proud that the gospel is having an effect in our lives, that it's really making an impact. What's going to impress him? What's going to convince him that if we continue in this way, we're going to shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation? What will impress Paul? Don't moan. in there. That's what it says. Yeah. <laughs> Are we expecting this? But Paul, we, we, we raised a few people from the dead to impress you this morning. They say, yeah, but well, without love, it really doesn't mean much to me. Just a bong, clanging gong, really. Where's the love? Don't moan. Do everything, do everything without complaining and grumbling. Uh, I just, I so love the Bible. It's just such, to me, a provocation. It comes as a bit of surprise to me. Why would Paul identify this right at the heart of this passage of Scripture where he's appealing to people to live their lives and work out their salvation with fear and trembling? And he's saying, look, you're going to shine like stars in a crooked generation. And he's saying, don't, you know... Make me think that it was all worthless. Make me feel this was worth it. And what will convince him and will persuade him that it was not in vain is that we're a community of people who don't complain and don't grumble. Now, if that comes as a little bit of a surprise to you, um, it came as a little bit of a surprise to me, I've been trying to reflect on this and think, why would Paul say that? Why is this so important to Paul? And this is what I've come up with. If you can improve on this, please come and share with me (laughs) later on and I'll bang it in next time I preach this sermon. These are some of the things I've tried to understand. Why would Paul consider this to be such an important factor? It's all to do with, is the gospel doing its work in our lives? It's the evidence to Paul that the gospel is doing its work in our lives. First of all, Now, before I say this, I want to put a small caveat in. I'm preaching on this because this is the scripture, the text I've been given to preach on. This is the, uh, when you preach your way through the word of God it means you can't duck and dive. You know, If you just sort of pick and choose the bits that suit your story at the time, you can miss out some uncomfortable scriptures. But if you say, no, we're going to preach right the way through this letter, then you have to face up to some of these things. So I'm preaching this because this is the scripture that happens to be presented to me at this time. Not because I think that you are a particularly complaining church, and it's about time I, I, I weighed in and gave, uh, gave you what for about it. <laughs> okay? All right, no, it's not that. In fact, I would say, I would say you are... An easy church to lead. I want to say that on behalf of all the leaders. Yeah, you are an easy church to lead. You're, you're loyal, you're loving, you're committed, you're generous, you're doing the stuff. And I love being part of the leadership of this church. Um, but understanding why this is important is important for us to understand, okay? Because we want to safeguard ourselves from anything that could bring us into uh, any error. Uh, or any difficulty and also out of this it's a little bit about ourselves we'll come on to that about how what has geared us up and is there anything that we need to work on in our own individual lives maybe even some healing and some prayer or even just some strength and support so here we go so I'm going to go through this you're going to sound a little bit hardball but you're all the time I'm being a bit hardball on these things you remember what I just said yeah what did I just say say yeah you're great (laughs) You're an easy church to lead. I don't think this is a major problem for us, but let's be attentive to it. First of all, why would Paul say, do everything without complaining and grumbling? Well, if we were to be people who complain and grumble, it shows that we have not grasped the truth. The gospel is not being effective in our lives. Okay. The bottom line is, we were dead in our sins. Yep. Dead people don't uh, have many choices, as far as I'm aware. (laughs) They're dead, so dead people don't really generally have much to complain about, because they're dead. (laughs) All right, so that's where we started, folks. We were dead, in our sins, so we had nothing to complain about. The uh, we were people of no entitlement. We were entitled to nothing. If you're entitled to nothing, you have no complaint. Yet, we have been given everything. Have we not? We have been given everything. Did we deserve it? No. Did we earn it? No. Is it on merit? No. Is it because we were born in comfortable middle-class England? No. It was because Christ poured the riches of his grace on us. When we least deserved it, he gave his life for us. He has poured his life out for us. He has rescued us from sin and shame and guilt. And he has replaced that with unblemished righteousness in the sight of God. Without blemish and free from accusation, it says in Colossians 1.22. My, one of my many favorite verses of the Bible. That whatever anybody else might say, what anybody else might accuse us of, whatever anybody else might direct at us... God sees us without blemish and free from accusation. Are you living in that place? Do you live in that place? Do you wake up in the morning and think, I feel rubbish today. I got chewed off by my boss yesterday. I just had a row with my wife. I'm not feeling great. I'm underperforming as a father. I'm underperforming as a husband. I'm not doing... But God thinks I'm without blemish and free from accusation. Is that the place where you're living? Because if you live in that place, you don't have anything to complain about. How can we complain when God has given us Everything. What is there to complain about when he's set the whole riches of his inheritance in our lap for us to enjoy for all eternity? We have nothing to complain about. Christ is enough for us. We spend too much time focusing on what we don't have and not enough time on focusing what we do have. Christ is enough. He's our all in all. He's given us everything for life and godliness. We have all stored up for our inheritance In our future, for the joy set before us, we can put up with a bit of mess here for now. So Paul is saying, if we've grasped the truth, we wouldn't have anything to complain about. Yeah, We're not of old covenant thinking. Old covenant people were complaining all the time. Moan, moan, moan to Moses. They're always moaning, 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 moaning. New covenant people, they say, man alive, can you believe this? I can't believe this. How can I be given this? What have I got? I've got nothing to complain about here. I'm happy. I've got my, my Willy Wonka golden ticket out of here. I'm great. It's good. Now, it's not to say that we don't have any complaints. And we'll talk about that. How do we resolve complaints between us? Um, you know, David, he was the king of complaints, wasn't he? You read the Psalms there. But, uh, and Paul, he would complain. Even Jesus, you know, why have you forsaken me? You know, but they were directing their complaints to God. Yeah? Not to each other not against each other, not gossiping or you know, chatting about it in the background. They were taking their complaints to God. So it's not that we've never had complaints, but it's what we do with those complaints and how we resolve them. So first of all, Paul is saying, do everything without um, grumbling and complaining because uh, if you're grumbling and complaining, you've not really understood the plot here. You've not grasped the truth. Secondly, uh, Paul's concerned about this because if we are grumbling and complaining, it shows that we're still like the world. What's the difference? There's no difference. The world is steeped in complaint. Have you noticed that? It started with a a dispute between Satan and God himself, where, as C.S. Lewis said, Satan... Have you ever read um, Screwtape Letters? Letters. Where he's saying, you know, our, our, our Lord Satan, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the gospel through the eyes of the, of the devil, which is quite an interesting uh, thesis, but it's great fun. And he says, you know, our, our Lord Satan decided to separate himself very rapidly from, uh, uh, from God, you see, which actually wasn't quite the case, obviously. He was thrown, hurled out of heaven because of this dispute. And then we see uh, dispute and contention in the garden where. Uh, Devil saying to um, you know Eve, no, come on, you know why is he not letting you do that? Ooh, mo, mo, mo you can eat that. Go on, that'll be okay. And then obviously from then on, the world has just been a story of of complaint and dispute. This is what the world is like. This is what this is the world that we live in. Complaints become disputes. Disputes become wars. Wars separate, and divide, and heap suffering on mankind. And uh, this is. Why, for Paul, he's saying a, a gospel community will not be like this. A gospel community is full of people who have learnt, first of all, how to live with this attitude of gratitude and saying, look, I've got really nothing to complain about because Christ is all for me, and I've got all this you know, stored up in my future. And so what little grievances and difficulties we have in this world, I can sort it out, and the Bible gives us instructions how to do that so that I will live in a default atmosphere of peace and not complaint so Paul is concerned about this because he's saying if if we if we have this sort of grumbling disposition then we've not grasped the truth if we have this complaining disposition well then we're just like the world and we should be shining like stars it should be so different this one thing will set us apart from the whole of civilization is what Paul is directing us towards He's saying also if we have this sort of complaining mindset, we're not following the instructions of our Father in heaven. And this book is full of instructions about how we manage our relationships with one another. You know, Proverbs 19:11. It's to a man's glory to overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. You cover a multitude of sins with love. Matthew 18:57. If you have a grievance, this is how you deal with it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't gossip. Definition of gossip. Casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people, typically involving details which are not confirmed as true. (laughs) And uh, we're we're, we're surrounded by this in the culture that we live in. Control your tongue, James 1.26. Take your thoughts captive. Prefer one another. Do to others what you prefer them to do to you. This book is full of God's code for modern living, the ethical code, the moral code, the way he wants us to live, the way he wants us to behave together. And if we are a grumbling, complaining people, we're not paying attention to the instructions of our father, who said, no, <laughs> do everything, do everything. Not do nothing without complaining <laughs> and grumbling. I could get through life doing nothing without grumbling. But no, do everything that's required of you. Do whatever they ask you to do at work. Do whatever, do, do whatever is put before you. Do it without grumbling and complaining. This, for Paul, is significant, even ultimate evidence that the gospel is at work in in our lives and in this community. For Paul as well, what does a a grumbling disposition show? It shows that we're not following the example of Jesus. So Nick unpacked uh, the first 11 verses of chapter 2 last week, and uh, it's all rich with the example of Christ. And how in humility, he humbled himself. He was obedient, even to the cross, even to death. You know, like a lamb before uh, the slaughter, he didn't complain. He went through with it for the joy set before him. And so we're following the example of Jesus as we seek to live lives that are not grumbling and complaining. And then, so, and then finally on this, so, um, you know if we've properly grasped the truth we would know we've got nothing to complain about if we are shining like stars it's because we're not complaining like the world does if we're following the instructions of our father we will not be looking to complain because he fills the bible with instructions on how not to uh, complain to one another um, if we follow the example of jesus we'll see that he humbled himself and didn't complain and finally it, it grieves the holy spirit when we complain In, 1 Corinthians 3, 16-17, it talks about this, the fact that we are vessels, we're temples of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Yeah. So, you know, we don't have to go to a holy place to encounter the presence of God because the presence of God is within us. Where's the kingdom of God? Is it here? Is it there? No, it's in you. Okay? The single most uh, underestimated value of being a Christian is that God is with you. <laughs> And you're a vessel, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible, Paul also goes on to say that when we gather together, we are, we are a temple. So the building together is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And in this, uh, those verses that I just quoted, uh, mentioned to you in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is describing the fact that if there are arguments and factions and disagreements in the body of Christ, we destroy that temple, is what it says. In other words, the presence of God is not with us. So that's why it's possible, you might wonder, how can this happen sometimes that you meet a church with a 100 Spirit-filled Christians but no sense of the presence of God? Well, this could be one of the reasons. It could be many reasons. This is one of the reasons why. You can have a gathering of, of people who are filled with the Spirit but their gatherings are not filled with the presence of God because the temple has been destroyed but through bad relationship between people. So this is God's code for modern living. If we live like this, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul would be proud. <laughs> Fancy really yes, Realize, yeah? So we've had our little taxi full of uh, impressive church leaders who've come in. And we're trying to figure out how to impress them. Well, if it was Paul and he was among us here, what would impress him is, look at these people. They don't complain. They do everything that's asked of them without grumbling. There's a beautiful, sweet atmosphere in this family. And there is, in this family, there is. Okay, I'm not coming from the direction of, uh, of rebuke here. I'm coming from the direction of let's make sure we preserve this because it's not, it's, you know, people say, oh, it's a nice... Heaven. No, it's vital. For Paul, it was vital, absolutely vital. Okay, but even more so, we want to make a massive impact in our community. Well, we will be highly visible like stars in the night sky if we create this sort of community. We're trying to build a sort of an outpost of heaven here. We're never going to have heaven on earth. Whatever you might read or see somewhere, you're never going to have heaven on earth. But we can pull heaven towards us, now and not yet. And one of the ways we pull heaven towards us is we say, we're going to build a community here where God is boss. And what he says goes. And if we do it his way, it works. We try to show the world. That's what we do. You're not coming here for a meeting. You're not coming here just to look, uh, you know, be in the right place with the right people here. Why we were inviting people into membership this morning is we're saying, come and build a community here. Work with us. Build connections of the heart because we want to build something here that is going to be so counter-cultural that it will be absolutely blindingly obvious to the world that something different is happening here. And it's something beautiful. and It's something very, very desirable and very, very attractive. And at the core of it, is that we've learned not to be a complaining community, which is extraordinary, but I'm just reflecting what it says here in these verses. So how are we going to do this? How can I encourage you about this? What is the kingdom opposite? Well, the kingdom opposite of criticism and complaining is encouragement. We encourage one another as long as today is called today, the Bible tells us. We want to create a culture of encouragement now, I preached about this uh, a few months ago, looking at Barnabas, who was the son of encouragement. And you've all remembered everything I said then, so I'm not going to repeat it now. All right, But if, if anything has slipped from your memory, <laughs> it's on our database. You can pull down the, uh, the MP3. But we were talking there about what it means to speak the truth in love, what it means to create a culture of encouragement in our families, what it means to create a culture of encouragement in our ministry teams. In, uh, in whatever context, we have influence. And we have this, uh, this, this expression when we're, we're coaching fellow leaders. We talk about the final 5%. So in other words, when you're trying to coach uh, a leader, or you know, you, 95% of the time, you're trying to point out the things they did well, because you create a culture of encouragement. So 95% you are saying, that was great, you did really well there. I thought that was good, that was excellent. And then the final 5% is when you say, right, now let's look at the things we can do better next time, rather than sort of leading with a a right hook (laughs) as you go into the conversation. That was rubbish. (laughs) Uh, But you did all right, thank you, well done, yeah. We're creating this atmosphere of encouragement, this environment of encouragement. I won't go into that too much. I spoke on that a lot quite recently. But this is one of the single and most noticeable ways we can shine as stars in a crooked and depraved generation is to not moan and complain, but to encourage one another and to create this culture of encouragement. It starts in the home, okay? It starts in the home. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It starts with you, and it starts with your home, okay? Uh, And (coughs) often the home can be the safe place where everybody can have a moan, all right? All smiling at each other on Sunday. Oh yeah, oh, lovely to see you. And yeah, oh, yeah. Then you get home, the door's shut, and Sunday lunches out. as all flipping like. <laughs> 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 Did you see what he's? Oh, he looked at me in a funny way. He ignored me again. No, you work out your own salvation, This is where it should start. It should start in the home. In the home it should be the model of what it means to have a, an encouraging environment. That. That's not. That's where you have control over your world. And you say, right, well, here, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. If we're going to serve the Lord, we're going to create an encouraging environment here. We're not We're not going to complain and criticize here. No, it's, this is where it starts. It starts with us. It starts at home. What do your children hear? What do your children hear? There's this little proverb, isn't there, about as the, the twig is bent, so the branch grows. You know, if you... If do, are your children just hearing you moaning about people, complaining? It's very powerful. Words of a parent are very powerful to children. And if all they hear is you moaning, that, that will affect their own development. You know, What do your friends and family hear? What do they hear about uh, your world, your life? Do they hear encouragement or do they just hear criticism and complaint? You know? What about at work or at college? What do our bosses hear? Or what do all our workmates hear about our boss? <laughs> you know? Are we the ones who are standing out, you know, when everybody's having a bit of a moan and we're just trying to put and say, oh, hang on, let's try and bear in mind, you know, don't know they're human, they make mistakes or... You know, okay, come on, let's just figure out how we can do this. Or, or do we feel the pressure to join in because we, we so want to be accepted and we so want to be part of the crowd, so we join in and go, yeah, you're right, moan, moan, moan. We want to resist that. We don't want to be pressed into the world's mould. What do our bosses and our colleagues hear? So this is the evidence of maturity for Paul. We wanna, we, we are, we're, we're running a great race here, folks. I think the favour of God is with us. You're going to hear some stories in the weeks and months to come about how God is with us in this place, and uh, you know we're about a great work here for the sake of the helpless and harassed, lost people of Ipswich, and the and for the nations beyond. You know we are. We're, this is where we're going, folks. And God is about a great work here, and uh, I, I'm appealing to us all to excel in these things. Not that you're not already doing it, but excel in these things. Excel in stamping out any attitude of the world about that would cause us to complain or grumble and discipline ourselves to say, I, all I want to do is bring encouragement and blessing. I to, if anything comes out of my mouth, it's going to be to bless someone and encourage them. Otherwise, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I don't want to say anything that's going to bless and encourage people. This is the evidence of maturity that is going to impress the Apostle Paul if he was here this morning. Yeah? We could be doing all sorts of sensational, spectacular ministry that will be broadcast around the world and Paul will be just looking to see how these people are getting on. How are they dealing with each other? Because that, to him, is evidence of an authentic gospel. Yeah? And he's also saying that that will be massively significant in our missional task to the world around us. It starts in the home it starts with us. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content but please do not edit the content in any way.